Good afternoon, everybody. Happy anniversary again. I'm Alvin, for those of you here for the first time. I'm the lead pastor here. I'm, I'm recently, you're looking at a newly installed uh, lead pastor. I've been, it's, it hasn't been three months yet, and I'm, so I'm new. But I, I think I know what I'm doing, so um, we'll see. But welcome, so glad you all are here. Again, if it's your first time, uh, text BELONG. Uh, to 77411, and we will be happy to connect with you. Also, don't forget, guys, uh, once we're done, we would love, if you have any memory, particularly a positive one of Nashville life, um, it will be great to see you in room 125 and 126, am I right? Yeah. 25 and 26, right, This uh, through these double doors that way. We would love to just get a positive memory uh, from you. We're going to compile something real special uh, to just remember how great this church is and how much we've accomplished and how much God has done in the lives of the people here. Um, but before we get into the word, uh, we are going to do uh, our pre-word declaration um, before we start. Uh, so repeat this after me. Say, uh, the word of God is the bread of life. May my heart conceive it and my life achieve it. The more I give life, the more I'll receive. The more I live life, the more I'll believe. In the name of Jesus, amen. Awesome, awesome. Okay, uh, this is our last part of our March series, which is called Designated Drivers. Uh, we've we established that when you have been assigned to be the designated driver in your group of friends that are maybe going out to drink that night, you've got one job, and that's to stay sober. Your job is to stay sober so everybody can get home safely. And I really think there's a lot of parallels between the designated driver and the believer. Uh, the believer, I believe we have a, a similar role in this world to lead people home safely, people who are currently under the influences of all types of things, whether it's substances or demons or mindsets. I mean, there's all types of things that this world is under the influence of. And if we aren't sober, then how will they get home? How will they find the way to get home safely? So I really want the church to really take on the role of the designated driver um, and the leaders and the, the light for our society, for our world. Um, the definition that we've been using for designated drivers, designated drivers, is uh, people who have been given the honor and responsibility uh, of remaining sober for a world under a harmful influence. Um, and I can't think of a more sobering topic than the crucifixion. Obviously, we're about to celebrate the resurrection uh, next. Well, we celebrate it all the time. But next week is the day that the whole world acknowledges the resurrection. But we need to remember, before there was a resurrection, there was a crucifixion. There was a really gruesome, horrible death that Jesus had to go through before he was raised from the dead. And that's really what I'm going to talk about today. Uh, the crucifixion reveals, I'm sorry, the crucifixion confronts us with death. The crucifixion confronts us with death. We're going to talk about death today. And I know that's not the most likely topic for the ninth anniversary of a church called Nashville Life. Um, our theme for the year is I'm a life giver. There's a whole lot of life 
that we've got going on. And today, I'm focusing specifically on death. And uh, it's not as morbid as you think because a detail that we often overlook that we should not, a very vital detail to our faith is our faith is built on a resurrected life. And tell me, can something be resurrected unless it first died? So as, as much as we are about life, we have to remember that our life as Christians is specifically built on the resurrected life, which cannot happen until there is a death. So you cannot be resurrected until you die. You cannot experience the power of the resurrection until you encounter death. There's a passage that used to really confuse me in the uh, chapter, the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 7. And I want to read it because I think it's very appropriate for us considering we're about to celebrate next week as well as just what we're going through as human beings in the world today. So take heed to this, especially uh, you uh, young people or, or us young people. Uh, uh, <laughs> I'm holding on. Um, uh, and also those of you who are, who are young in the faith as well, please take heed to this passage because most of y'all are like me. Y'all didn't even know this was in here. Uh, a good name is better than precious perfume. And the day of one's death, better than the day of one's birth. It is better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting. For that day of death is the end of every man, and the living will take it to heart and solemnly ponder its meaning. Sorrow is better than laughter. For when a face is sad, deep in thought, the heart may be happy because it's growing in wisdom. The heart of the wise learns when it is in the house of mourning. But the heart of fools is senseless in the house of pleasure. It is better to listen to the rebuke of the wise man and pursue wisdom than for one to listen to the song of fools and pursue stupidity. That is the amplified and very blunt translation of God's word, but it's true. Now, for those of you who don't know me, I think I should let you know what people who do know me, I think, know. And that is, I love a good time. I, I prefer to laugh more than I prefer to cry. I enjoy a wedding, particularly the dance floor at the reception, way more than I enjoy a funeral. Um, I enjoy to be praised more than I like being rebuked. And I enjoy a celebration way more than I, than I enjoy mourning. So this is, you're not talking to somebody who, who doesn't want the party, who doesn't want the feast. I love to eat. So you're not talking to someone that doesn't enjoy a good time. However, I say amen to this passage because ultimately this passage is teaching me that death, it makes me more future-minded. Death and the thought of it makes me more future-minded. Guys, most of my future is after I die. The majority, in fact, Scripture goes as far to say my time prior to death is only a vapor of smoke 
compared to my future after I die. This is something that most of us struggle, especially us who are younger and invincible and we're going to live forever. Um, it's hard for us to grasp because we really want to hold on to the time that, uh, this side of death. And we, we, we want to really, you know, quote unquote, live life to the fullest. And amen, we should. We should absolutely live life to the fullest, but perhaps we are going about it the wrong way. In fact, I believe we are going about it the wrong way. You know, a lot of times the spontaneous, thoughtless, free spirit types are the types that are deemed as the ones who really live life to the fullest. But I want to challenge you and ask you, who do you think lives a fuller life? The one who spends their Friday paycheck in one weekend and by that Thursday they have nothing to eat? Or the person who saves and is able to live off that paycheck for the whole month? Who do you think is living a fuller life? Who lives a fuller life? The one who speaks their mind any chance they get and burn all kinds of bridges? Or the one who thinks before they speak and save their relationships and reconcile? Who lives a fuller life? The one who stays in the fast lane and crashes and burns or the one who sustains? Who lives a fuller life, guys? The one who starts strong or the one who finishes strong? The difference between the two scenarios is one ingredient, and that is wisdom. Wisdom, I believe, is what causes us to live the fullest of life, of life, mainly because we last. The wise last. The wise are able to stretch the good time opposed to going super hard in one day and having nothing the next. The wise ultimately live the fullest lives because the wise last. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 13 through 15 says, Blessed is the one who finds wisdom and the one who gets understanding, for the gain from her is better. Everyone say better. better. The gain from her is better than gain from silver and her profit better, say better, better. than gold. She is more precious than jewels, talking about wisdom, and nothing you desire can compare with her. Say nothing. There is nothing that we could possibly desire, according to the word, that can compare to wisdom. Wisdom is life to the fullest. Proverbs 9 verse 10 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. I personally believe that the fear of the Lord and sobriety are the same thing. Both make you aware. Both cause you to come to your senses. Both make you want to stay in line. And both give you the assurance that things are in line. When you're anxious, you're not sober because you don't have a security that God is in control in that moment. 
You have a fear that maybe he took a nap. Maybe he overlooked you. Maybe he didn't see this coming. And that's what causes that fear to bubble up in you. The fear of the Lord is the knowledge that no matter what happens, God is on the throne. He's in control. He saw this entire thing before it happened, and he's going to work it out. That is what the fear of the Lord does. A lot of times the word fear turns us off when we see the fear of the Lord, and we don't like that. Fear of the Lord is just basically observant of authority, knowing that he's in charge, knowing that he's watching the fear of the Lord is living your private life as if it was in broad daylight and everybody can see. Sobriety is the most prevalent. Sobriety, I'm, sobriety is most prevalent in broad daylight. First Thessalonians 5 and 7. Even the ancient scripture says most people are drunk at night. That's why it says live like it's day. Because most people aren't walking around drunk in the day. It's around 11, 30, 12, 1 that it goes there. Scripture says, live your life as if you were in broad daylight. Live your life as if everybody can see what you're looking on the internet. Look at your life as if everybody can see you behind closed doors. Live your life as if it's 12 noon and more than likely you will not be drunk. Live your life like it's broad daylight. That's what fear of the Lord does. The fear of the Lord is being conscious of consequences. Sobriety is being conscious of consequences. The fear of the Lord allows you to think long term. Sobriety allows you to think long term. Designated drivers are people who don't just think about the right now fun, but they think about how everybody is gonna get home after the fun. That's the role of the designated driver. Everybody else is living in the moment, taking shots. Designated driver is going, okay, how is everybody gonna make it home okay? And that's the believer. We've gotta be thinking, okay, what are we doing after this party? What are we doing after this life? If we aren't the ones thinking about what's going to happen after we die, who is? The reason why the crucifixion is sobering is because it makes us think about death. And guys, death is sobering. Death is sobering. I had the honor, the honor of going to three funerals in the past two weeks. And all of them were, were Jesus followers. They were impactful in their faith. They had so many stories of people who were blessed by their life. And there was such a, yes, there were tears. It was sad because we love people. And I believe tears reflect the value that they had in our lives. You know, if you're not sad that someone's gone, then it kind of makes you wonder what the value they had in your life was. So I'm not knocking tears because that's a, that means that you love them. That means you're going to miss them, and that's positive. At the same time, for these three people who died, there was such a sense of joy and a sense of hope because for those who are in Christ, death is only the beginning. Death is just the beginning for those who are in Christ, which is why the morning is not the same because you know that death is just the start for those who are in Christ. Jesus saw death merely as a gateway to where life really was. Hebrews 12, chapter 2. Hebrews 12, chapter 2. It says, we do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus. Everyone say Jesus. Jesus. 
We keep our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith because of the joy awaiting him. He endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. I'm going to explain this scripture. It says, Jesus endured the crucifixion, which was terrible, disregarding how shameful it was to lay there half naked while people were spitting on you, you're bleeding, organs popping out. I mean, it was horrible. He endured the shame and the embarrassment of that kind of death because he knew that joy was in his future. When the, when the Bible says that joy awaited him, awaiting means it's, it's in the future. Like, next steps for today is awaiting me. It's in the future. So this, the Bible says that when he went to the cross, he knew that there was a joy in his future. So how can you be thinking about the future when you're about to die if death is really the end? This man was approaching his death and was thinking about the future that was ahead, which is proof that death is not the end. The way you live your life is based on what you believe about death. Your life is an open indicator of what you truly in your heart, I'm not talking about your Christian status, I'm not talking about your religious affiliation. I believe that your life today is a direct reflection of what you believe about death. If you believe that death is the end, then you will treat this life like it's all you've got. If you believe that death is just the beginning, you will live your life like it's just the beginning. And you will be, allow yourself to endure the hardships of this time, knowing that these hardships and the sowing that you do in this life will produce the harvest for life after death. If you do not believe that there's anything for you after death, your life will show it. You will hold on to this world way too tightly. And the enemy knows if you think that this life is all you've got, he's got you. Scripture says that we defeat the enemy by the blood of the lamb, by the word of our testimony, and we're not afraid to lose our life. And you cannot not be afraid to lose your life if you don't believe that your future is majorly, uh, yeah, the majority of your future is in the future after death. Does that make sense? Okay. Jesus endured death because he knew his future would be joy. This was the first death on earth that brought eternal life to mankind, which is why I don't mind talking about death because the death that I'm talking about today is the death that will give you life well after your death, which is why I can talk about it, which is why we should be able to talk about it. We shouldn't fear death. As long as you fear death, you will not live. We have to live our life unafraid because, not because we're just all wanting to die, but we see death for what it is, and that is just the beginning. What made Jesus' death so special? Why is it his death that we're talking about? Why are we talking about Thomas' death? Why are we talking about Johnny's death? Why are we talking about Susie's death? Jesus' death is special because of something called his blood. His blood is what makes his death so special. That's why 
His death, his blood is what makes his death something that I'm talking this long about. When John the Baptist saw Jesus at the beginning of his ministry, they said that John the Baptist said, look, there goes the lamb of God. There goes the sacrificial lamb. There goes the lamb who takes away the sin of the world. This was a reference to a highly significant event that happened in the Jewish heritage, and that is Passover. Passover was the event where God saved the Israelites from slavery in Egypt. And it happened in Exodus, and it was a very horrible but powerful process. God unleashed an angel of death all through Egypt. And the angel's assignment was to kill the firstborn of every household. Every household. This was obviously terrible for anybody to go through, but Egypt went through it. They suffered from it. It was a real thing. And yes, it was at the hand of God. However, the justice of God, the mercy of God is always present. No matter how gruesome God can be, he always provides salvation. There's always a provision for an escape. He said there's nothing that he puts us through that he doesn't offer a way of escape. But in true Jesus fashion, true God fashion, I should say, he only provides one way. And that's the thing, like God always provides a way of escape, which is good news, but the want, want part is there's only one way. He doesn't provide several options to get out. I'm not saying he doesn't give you several options sometimes, but there's always, he promises one. He says, I will always give you one. You know, if, if there was something horrible happening in your life, he guarantee, you, he can put his name on, he can guarantee you that there's going to be at least one way. So when it came to this Passover, there was one way to be saved from this death angel. And pardon me if you're a little bit squeamish, but they had to take a, a lamb and they had to kill and, and, and empty the lamb's blood into this container, this basin. And they had to take the blood of the lamb and smear it on their doorpost. And whenever the, the death angel came to your house, if he saw the blood of the lamb on your doorpost, he would pass over your house. You would be saved from the death angel. But... If he came by your house and he didn't see the lamb's blood on your house, it didn't matter how good of a person you were. It didn't matter how many people you uh, helped across the street. It didn't matter how much money you gave to charity. It didn't matter how funny you were, how young you were, how bad of a person you were, as good as a person. It had nothing to do with anything personal. It had everything to do with this one detail, this one salvation tool, and that was the blood of Jesus, the blood of the lamb. I'm getting ahead of myself because you see where this is going. Now, you might be wondering, when it comes to Jesus being the Lamb of God, right? He, that was based, the Passover was a foreshadowing to what we experience today. Jesus, when John the Baptist said, that's the Lamb, he's basically saying that is the, the manifestation of, the fulfillment of what the Passover foreshadowed. When this man sheds his blood, anybody who has that blood, 
anybody who has that blood on their life, death will pass over them and they will live. When, when, when John the Baptist called Jesus the lamb that takes away the sin of the world, he was basically saying, this is the human version of what happened hundreds of years ago. This is the human version. This man is going to shed his blood, and his blood is going to be the only thing that's going to save people from the death angel that will sweep the entire world. There is a death angel that has been unleashed on this entire world, and it comes in the form of sin. Sin brings death. The death angel happening today is sin. And the only thing that can save you from sin, the only thing that can allow the death angel to pass over your life is the shed blood of the lamb that we call Jesus. So you might be wondering, if that's true, if Jesus is our Passover lamb, then why do saved people still die? If Jesus is this Passover lamb, if death passed over my grandma, then why is she dead? She knew Jesus. If death passed over my, my, my wife, then why is she dead? She knew Jesus. If death passed over, you name the person who knew Jesus, why are they dead? That might be a question that comes through your mind. And the answer is for those who are in Christ, for those who have the blood of the lamb, Jesus redefines death. Paul says he causes death to lose its sting. The finality of death has been removed. Basically, God takes, death used to be a period, and then he basically swaps that period out with a comma. That's what it means. So basically, the people who you know that knew Jesus, that are physically dead at the moment, Scripture says that they are only sleeping. John chapter 2, John chapter 2, 19 through 22 says, Jesus answered them. He said, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. Then the Jews said, the Jews then said, it has taken 46 years to build this temple, and you will raise it up in three days? But he was speaking about the temple of his body. When therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this. And they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. Guys, when someone dies in Christ or when something dies in Christ, it is only broken down so it can rise back up. When something dies in Christ, it is only put to sleep so it can wake back up in due time. Death in Christ is not the end, but it's an extension. It's an extension of your life. It's a, it's a, it's a continuation. It loses its sting. Now, for us on earth, it feels final because we don't see them anymore. For now. Read the scriptures, guys. It tells you exactly what happens for those who are dead in Christ. And let me tell you, they are not finished. There's a whole lot of action coming up for those 
who died while in Christ with the blood. You will find out. Time will prove. Time will prove. You mark my words. Time will prove that they did not die. Time will prove. For those of you who aren't sure, just wait. You will see that those in Christ were only asleep this entire time. So what do I mean by death in Christ? We talk about communion, right? We know, raise your hand if you're familiar with communion. Communion is the practice that teaches us to share in the death of Christ. It's the, it's the, it's the, the, the sacrament that symbolizes everything I'm talking about right now. It's how we receive the blood ceremonially. It's how we receive the broken body. It's how we take part in the death. Because Jesus says, you can't take part in my resurrection unless you take part in my death. And communion is a great and very less painless way of us partaking in the death of Jesus. John chapter 6 is when Jesus introduces this thing called communion. And it did not go over well. That chapter, uh, verse 53, Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the son of man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. No life. Well, I'm breathing, Alvin. What does that mean? Come next week. I'm going to talk to you about the difference between what we think life is versus what life really is. Half the people that we know are not alive. Half of the people you know are not alive. Come next week. You have no life in you, Jesus says. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. Verse 57, as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me... He also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread, everyone say this bread, whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Forever. Sandlot. Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught at Capernaum. Verse 60, <laughs> when many of his disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? What is this man talking about? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, do you take offense to this? I'm sorry, are you offended that I'm talking about eating my body and drinking my blood? Do you not hear that kind of talk every day? Are you a little bit disturbed? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life, but there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were, who did not believe, and who it was who would betray him. All right. 
Jesus is the only person who lived, died, was raised from the dead, and never died again. That last part's important because thousands of people have been risen from the dead. Lazarus was not the only one. We've got modern day stories. One was which my uncle, dead for 20, 30 minutes, totally dead. We praised God because the Lord said he wasn't going to die and he's, he lived. So my point is, the resurrection is miraculous, but what separates Jesus from my uncle is my uncle eventually died about 10 years later, about nine years later after, the resur- after he was raised from the dead. He died. Lazarus died. What separates Jesus is that he rose from the grave and never died again. That's what separates Jesus. That's why he's, uh, no, there's no one greater, right? Because everyone else who was raised from the dead, which is miraculous in itself, eventually their body gave up and they died. Jesus never died. The reason why is because his blood was without sin. There's a reason why Jesus had to be born of a virgin. If man's DNA was mixed in, he would have been just like us. Doomed from the start. We all need to repent. Jesus did not need to because even his blood was of no defects, which is another foreshadowing, which is another manifestation of the foreshadowing. The sacrificial lamb back in Passover had to be without any defects, no funny weird spots, no broken bones. The lamb had to be perfect without any defects. Fast forward to Jesus. He had to be without any defects. And there's no human being without defects. So God goes, man, I got I to gotta start this man from scratch. Because as much as I love John, John's got some defects. All of us have defects. So he had to be void of all defects. His blood was perfect. And on top of that, even when he was born, he still had to live about 33 years without committing a sin. Because if he committed the sin, even him being a virgin birth, he would have been contaminated. And his blood would have been useless. So not only was Jesus born of a virgin and was without sin, he actually had to live life, experience temptation, experience weakness, and still not sin. This is why we praise him. This is why we follow him. He has done what none of us could have ever done. I believe when you're full of something and you're broken, that's what comes out. Which is why 2020 was a revelation. It didn't change us. It revealed us. COVID did not change people's commitment to church. It revealed their commitment to church. It revealed, and I'm not talking about in person. I know some committed people who are watching online. So I'm not judging people who are not coming in person. COVID did not change us. It revealed us. When you are broken, it reveals what was already in you. If we have broken, if we have containers that are filled with different things, when you break it, the thing that's in it comes out. 2020 was a breaking time for us, but for some of us, we realize, I actually love God. 
oh my God, I'm broken and I'm still praying. I'm broken and I'm still praising. Hallelujah. But some of us realized that the breaking moment showed that there was nothing there to begin with. So when Jesus' body was broken, guess what came out? Life. Which is why he says you've got to drink this blood because this blood is life for you. When you drink of the blood of Jesus, when he was broken, when his blood poured out, life was coming out. Life was coming out when his blood was shed for us, when his body was broken for us. When Jesus was broken, life came out. Some of us go, well, I'm a nice person, but don't make me mad. Basically, when I'm broken, I will curse you out. That means it was in there. If it's not in you, it's not coming out of you. If it's not in you, it will not come out. Sin was not in Jesus. So when he was crucified, when he was blasphemed, when he was falsely accused, what came out? Forgiveness came out. Grace came out. Healing came out. I'm going to talk about this next week, but do you guys know that when Jesus died, people who were dead rose from the grave that moment? We don't talk about that. It's been overlooked a lot. I'm going to talk about it all next week. Guys, people who were in Christ, people who received Jesus during his ministry and died, Scripture says that when Jesus died, the earth shook, and I've watched the, the video thriller too many times, but I don't think it looked like that. I don't think they were like decayed, walking out. I don't think I don't I don't think it was that. I think it was before they were people who hadn't been riding yet. I choose to believe that it wasn't the most horrific situation. I believe it was probably beautiful. They said they walked around town, people knew them, like people saw them, and I don't I, I just believe it was not thriller. The point is, just by dying. It, it woke people up. Who can you say that when they are broken, it resurrects people from the dead? I mean, do y'all know that's the standard that God is calling us to? That on our worst day, on our worst day, people are being healed. On our worst day, people are raising from the dead. Now, it's been a bad day. That means I don't come to church for three weeks. It's been a bad day, so I don't have... I get a license to not share the gospel with anybody. We look at our bad days as excuse to be sinful and fruitless. And our Lord and Savior, on his worst day, people were being raised from the dead. We've lost our standard. We've lost our standard. He says, put your eyes on Jesus, because then you will see, oh man, this is how this guy handled persecution. This is how this guy handled betrayal. It didn't cause his fruitfulness to waver. In, in, in fact, it actually increased his fruitfulness. Last scripture. John 12, 24. Truly, truly, Jesus says, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. 
But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life, the life this side of death, loses it. Whoever loves this life, these hundred plus years if we're lucky, whoever loves this part will lose their life. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it. Whoever sees their hundred plus years, if you're lucky, whoever sees this part as what it is, and that's just the sowing period for the harvest, this is, that means I can, you know what sowing is? It means you're covered in dirt. You've got to see this life of, I'm just in dirt right now. I'm just in dirt. This is, my, this is sowing season. This is sowing season. Jesus says whoever sees this life as the sowing season and is willing to just go, oh, this is just, this is the dirt time. They will live. The person who looks at this season as the time to shine, the time to be great, the time to really soak it all in and live it up the way that we think live it up is, if we see this as the time that matters in the way of, you get what I'm saying? We will lose our lives because we will get on this side of death and go, oh, wait, that, that, time was, that time was actually to make this time great? That's what weeping and gnashing of teeth means. Scripture says there's going to be weeping and gnashing of teeth, and that is the reaction that people are going to have when they finally reach the real part of life and realize that they blew the part that was supposed to be the investment for this life. They're going to be so frustrated with themselves, guys. People are going to be so, I mean, you, you, we, you know how frustrated we get when we goof up or we mess up or we forget our keys or we, you know. Imagine that times 100. People are going to be so mad at themselves. There's going to be such a gnashing of teeth. I can't believe that those 80 years of my life, I lived so aloof of this part. I lived my life over here as if this was just a fairy tale. I lived my life over here as if this was just wishful thinking. I didn't take it seriously over here. I thought this was the, the creme of the creme, the creme of the creme, whatever. Creme de la creme. Thank you, Jesus. I, I lived this part like this was the, the prize. And then you get to the part that's really the prize and you realize you have nothing to show for. There's nothing you can enjoy. And for most, they won't even get to get in there. So Jesus says, whoever loves this part will lose their life. Whoever hates this part sees it for what it is. Will keep it for eternal life. Verse 26, if anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there my servant will be also. Sorry, there, 
there will my servant be also. Sorry. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. So, guys, this part is for service. This part is for service. Learn from Jesus. This part for him was for service. He goes, follow me. You can't say you're a Christian and look at this part as the time to be served. This is the part for service. This is the part to humble yourself. This is the time that you fast and pray. This is the time that you labor. This is the time that you sweat. This is the time that you go all in until you have nothing left. It's this time so that you can reap from everything you sowed over here, over here. And there's a reason why I always go here because this is actually generous. Oh, this stage, if this stage was eternal life, honestly, just to give you some perspective, if this stage was your entire eternal life, this is the part before you are 120. I mean, honestly, vapor of smoke, this is your life prior to your death. And some of us are blowing it when this is the part that will fuel, if you see that for what it is, I promise you, you will not be lazy. I promise you, you will not be complaining. I promise you, you won't be doing senseless sins. I promise you, if you truly listen to Jesus and see your life like this compared to this, your life will change immediately. Some of you guys will be delivered on the spot. Some of you guys are not delivered, not because of God's promise, God's ability. You're not delivered because you still think you have time. Some of you are not free because you still think you have time. That's why death is sobering, because when you realize that this is life and death, you get delivered. Some of y'all, oh my God. Porn would be um, just a distant memory. Alcohol, I mean, like, broken, I'm telling you, if you realize that you were, Tim McGraw, that was a prophetic song, Live Like You Were Dying. That's pretty much said, if you live like you were dying, it's going to actually enhance your life. You're going to say, you know what? I am going to go do that. I am going to say this. I am going to go do this. I am going to obey with this. Jesus says this is how you have life, by realizing that this life is nothing compared to what's to come. So since we've covered the death of Jesus is what gives us life, guys, for the next week, let's embrace the death of Jesus. Let's embrace it. Now that we know what it does... Let's embrace almost like Peter when Jesus was trying to wash his feet. And he was like, don't do it, don't do it. And then Jesus said what he was actually doing. He said, well, in that case, wash everything. He went from saying, don't wash my feet to, well, if it means that, then wash all of me. So we're basically saying, if the death of Jesus does what this man is saying, then let's go for it. Let's die today. Let's go for it. If this is true, now you won't. Get sick when you read Jesus says you have to die. You won't go, oh, I just, that doesn't agree with my spirit. 
You're going to say, amen, let's die. Okay, I die to my flesh. I surrender. Take me to the cross. I want to be up there with you. Because if that produces true life, then bring on the death. Bring it on. Yeah, it might hurt. Yeah, I might cry. But if that's going to produce that, sign me up. That's why I say, guys, I love a good time. I love a wedding. I love food. I love to laugh. I love parties. But if the scripture is telling me that thinking about death is actually going to do what it's saying it's going to do, then I'll fast. I'll do it. I'll turn it down. Okay, I'll, I'll cry. I'll mourn. I'll do what I got to do. This Friday, we are going to gather for an online service because it's the day that the whole world will acknowledge the death of Jesus. I'm calling it the why behind Good Friday. I'm going to teach why that horrible day is considered good. Why is the most unfair, gory moment is considered good for us. At 7 p.m., it's online, YouTube, Facebook, Instagram. Please join us. Hopefully, thinking about death today reminded you that we will not be here for long. And when I say for long, I mean like, I mean, we know how fast the years go by just with, in, within, in context to this life. Some of you are like, man, time flies. You know how we say that? That's not a Christian, non-Christians say that. Time flies. Man, I was talking to some. I had uh, lunch with, where's Taylor? Nate, your brother-in-law. I had lunch with him Friday. And we were like, man, I said, it's been so long. He was like, yeah, maybe like, what, like nine months? And I scrolled through my text. It had been two and a half years. He said, man, you know you're getting old with nine months. Two and a half years feel like nine months. It was two and a half years since I had seen him, guys. I'm trying to let us know that this is how time works. What we think is a long time is not. What we think is two and a half years feels like nine months. And that's why we're still on this side of death. So when we think of eternity, what feels like 80, 90 years, what feels like 110 years is a vapor of smoke. Jesus is saying, act like it. Act like this is nothing. Act like you just got a little bit of time. Jesus says, work while it's still day. While you still have time to influence your eternity and other people's eternity, eternity act like it's life or death. Treat your friends like you know they're going to die the next week. Uh, tell me. Tell me you won't tell him about Jesus. Please don't tell me you wouldn't tell me about Jesus. I pray that you would not withhold Jesus from a friend that you knew was going to die next week that didn't know Jesus. I bet you'd get over your fear of confrontation then. I bet you'd get over your aversion to awkward moments then. I bet you risk being laughed at then. At least I hope you would because in that case, I don't know what's in your heart. How can you tell me Jesus is living in your heart and you can know that your friend is dying, but because of your own personal comforts, because of your own fear, you allow them to never hear about Jesus? 
I've got friends who are currently laughing at me now. And I'm not trying to put myself in the back, but I realize that without Jesus, they will have no life. And I'm sorry, but I happen to care. And I don't think that makes me uh, Mother Teresa, because I care. I don't think that makes me the greatest saint in the world, because I care that people won't, people won't live. They won't live. They won't live. And I care. That's all I'm asking you to do is to realize that, that this is going to be the end. This is going to be end, the end. This is going to be the end for them. Jesus. With that said, guys, invite people to hear the gospel. I know our church isn't perfect. I know, I know all the things aren't the way it should be, but guys, at least give us the credit that we share the gospel of Jesus Christ. <laughs> Guys, we're letting our detail of where should I really be, and we're so caught up in what, should I go to this church or this church, and we're missing the point that people are not hearing the gospel. We're letting our, our enthusiasm about our church determine how well we tell people about Jesus. We're living a lie that's saying once I really love it here and once I really get that third confirmation, this is the church I'm going to be, then all of a sudden I'm going to finally care. Guys, that is not Nashville life. That is your heart. That is not this church. That is someone who doesn't care that much. And we don't see it as life and death. I know we got so many visitors here. I know it's, this is against the rules, I guess. At the same time, I'm talking to you too, first time guests. Statistics show that the first time guests still know Jesus. Most first time guests have been walking with the Lord. So, hi, I'm Alvin and I'm talking to you too. Because let's be honest, most of the first-time guests have already received salvation. So I'm talking to you too. Welcome to the family. <laughs> let's stand. We're going to end. Father, we thank you for using death and the thought of death to wake us up to what's really going on. Ecclesiastes 7 says, when we ponder on death, we take it to heart that this day of death is coming for all of us. And our salvation does not guarantee that we will have several more days ahead of us on this side of life. Scripture says that even tomorrow, Monday morning is not a guarantee, even for those who are in Christ. So, Lord, forgive us for giving an, an arrogant, ignorant sense of confidence that we've got all the time in the world because we don't. Wake us up, Lord, to the reality that all we get is a vapor of smoke of time to allow the blood's lamb to be put on our doorpost. 
Because the death angel, death is coming. Death is coming for all of us. Some might be next week, some might be two years from now, some might be 15 years from now, but it is coming. And Lord, let us be the house. Let our lives be the house that's covered with the Lamb's blood so that when death comes, it will pass over us. And what we thought should have been death will have just been a long nap. Lord, I thank you for for redefining what death is for us. But God, for those of us who are in Christ, Lord, help us to realize how many people in our lives are not. There are people that if they died today, it would be the end of their life. And they would not have the ability to live life with you. Help us to care. Help us to put ourselves out there. Even if we don't have all the answers, even if we don't know all the scriptures, even if we were just in sin a few days prior, God, help us to know that for those who are in Christ, we have a duty. We have a responsibility. We are the designated drivers that point people to where home really is. Wake us up, Father. Thank you, Holy Spirit. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Now, yes, praise God. Uh, I mentioned there's a lot of first-time guests who know Jesus, but there are some people here who don't. There are some people here who have not placed the blood's lamb on their life. And the good news about it is you don't have to physically take communion for that to happen. That's a great ceremony. That's a great symbol. That's a great act of worship. We should do it. But that's not what saves us. What saves us is when we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart. So I'm going to lead us through a prayer right now that's going to allow that to happen. So repeat after me. Father, in the name of Jesus, I confess that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. I believe that he died on the cross for my sins and was raised from the dead on the third day. Forgive me of my sins and make me a new person in Christ. Lord Jesus, I choose you to be the Lord of my life. Fill me with the Holy Spirit so I can live for you every day. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Amen. Praise God for salvation.